egg freezing or oocyte cryopreservation can be the relief for women who wish to preserve their fertility and allow the patient to wait for the quote-unquote right time. Time magazine hails this process as an insurance policy for the modern-day woman. So what are the newest advances in technology in this process, and who are the right patients? You are listening to ReachMD, and I am your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry. With me today is Dr. Keenan Omertog. He's an assistant professor in the Division of Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility at Washington University in St. Louis. Dr. Omertog, welcome. Thanks, Patrice. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's talk about freezing our eggs. What are some of the medical and non-medical indications in which women might want to freeze their eggs? So there are several scenarios in which egg freezing becomes an option. So the medical, and I don't want to say, you know, some people don't even like using medical, non-medical, because everything is medical. But let's, for, for the purpose of the discussion, we'll split them up that way. So medical would be like, you know, you're about to undergo cancer treatment. You're about to undergo chemotherapy. You're about to undergo radiation. You might have to have you know, surgery where the, you know, cervical cancer. So the the chemotherapy and radiation are particularly some types are very gonadotoxic. So your ability to ovulate or even the egg reserves that you have will be significantly impaired with um, that treatment. So as a result, we would just, you know, that would be a reason to harvest eggs. I mean, this is the same thing that we do for men. For example, we encourage them to bank sperm because a lot of chemotherapeutic agents are toxic to the gonad. So examples of, other examples would be you have a severe autoimmune disease like lupus and that requires some chemotherapy like that can be very toxic. Other examples would be severe endometriosis and you've had multiple surgeries on your ovary and at this point you have, you've decided to have both ovaries removed because You know, you keep having pain and whatnot, so that, again, would be another medical indication. The so-called non-medical indications or elective indications would be, you know, I'm single, I'm concerned about about when I might be in a position to build my family, and I'm worried about my increase in age and how it might affect my ability to conceive, so I want to freeze my eggs now while I'm you know, 35, for example, as opposed to, you know, try, I'm worried I might not find the right partner or attempt, be able to attempt pregnancy until I'm 40 years old. Um, so that would be an example of an elective or non-medical indication. And some people would argue, and, you know, I think it's a legitimate argument that it's all medically indicated because the age-related decline is not, you have no control over that. So, so to say, you know, it's non-medical. Some people um, will snipe at me about that. So, um, but those are the reasons to do it, and I think it's a good option to have available. So if a woman walks into our office and says that she's interested in fertility preservation, what is the initial process? Is there a test that I should be ordering? So there are, before, before I answer that, let me, let me also just make a caveat here. Egg freezing has been around for a long, for, you know, 20 plus years. However, it's becoming, the reason we're hearing about it a lot more is in 2010, the experimental label on egg freezing was lifted. The American Society of Reproductive Medicine 
concluded that there was enough data to lift the experimental tag on this technology, and therefore that meant you didn't have to do it under this rigorous IRB consent process. So it became more readily available. Um, so it is no longer considered experimental. So when a patient walks into the office and they said, you know, I'm interested in preserving my fertility, the first question, you know, the first things we look at, it's obvious, you know, we say, okay, how old are you? And then, you know, what are we doing this for? Do you have a partner? And how interested are you in potentially being a single mother? Would you be interested in using donated sperm? So those are part, those are parts of the considerations. And then I'll go in and talk to them about, you know, ovarian reserve testing. So these are tests that provide a snapshot of what we call their ovarian reserve. These are markers that give us a sense of specifically ovarian quantity, so how egg quantity. So for example, an anti-malarian hormone level is a simple blood test that you can draw and it gives a numeric value. The higher that number is, the more responsive the ovary is to the egg freezing process. The lower the number is, the less responsive the um, ovary would be to egg freezing. So that doesn't mean, oh, my number is low, I can't ever, these eggs will not amount to a pregnancy. That is not how that level should be used, okay? The second thing is antral follicle count, which is an ultrasonographic marker counting the number of follicles you have, and again, is another marker of quantity. I also like to check an FSH estradiol level, which is more out of just legacy than anything, but it gives me a sense of how efficient the brain is communicating with the ovary. Because we know as the age of the woman increases, that efficiency declines. And if that if your FSH level is elevated, depending on how elevated it is, you might not respond very well to egg freezing, okay? So all of these tests kind of give us a sense of how responsive you're going to be with the egg freezing process and how, you know, are you someone that might have to do this one or two times or even more? How many times, you know, would you be, are, are you willing? You know, how aggressive, it also helps us decide how aggressive to be with the medication. So. I usually spend an hour outlining these tests and then, then the next, you know, actually not an hour, but more like 15 to 20 minutes outlining these tests and then the next remainder of the hour is what I spend talking about expectations for the process. So once you've determined that a woman is a good candidate for this process, what happens next? So once we've determined that the patient is, it's up to her. She, she, you know, she's heard everything. We say, hey, you're a good candidate for this, and then she decides she wants to do it. We essentially are putting her through the IVF process. So what ends up happening is, so she will, she'll, we'll give her a schedule. She'll get a calendar. Our nurse will coordinate this effort for her. Um, the medication will be mailed to her. It should not be this disruptive thing until she starts. When she, and even then it's minimally disruptive. Um, so when she starts, she is, she starts taking injections. One or two subcutaneous injections with the start of a period for four or five days, okay? So to even dive a little deeper, the patient will call with the start of a period. She'll come to our office cycle day 
two or three, she'll get blood work and an ultrasound, and then she'll go to work or go wherever, and then she'll get a phone call that afternoon saying, hey, everything looks great. Go ahead and start your medication. She'll start her medication. She'll be on it for four days. She's giving herself little bee sting-like injections in her abdomen of two different medications to help grow the eggs that she has available in her ovary. And then she'll come back four or five days later. We'll look again with the ultrasound. And then we may add in a third medication at that time to help disconnect her brain's communication with the ovaries. And that gives us complete control of the manipulation. Essentially, this process is an amplification and manipulation of a normal menstrual cycle. In a normal menstrual cycle, you release one egg. What we're trying to do is to get you to grow all of the eggs that are potentially recruitable in that particular cycle. Once your follicles get to a certain size, we'll then trigger you. So you give yourself a, another injection, which is, can be an um, injection in the hip or a small injection in the abdomen. And then 36 hours later, you'll have the egg freezing or egg harvesting procedure. The egg freezing procedure is a very simple uh, outpatient procedure in which you're under anesthesia. You're still breathing on your own, so you're not intubated. It's a simple office anesthesia procedure. You have a vaginal ultrasound probe that goes into the vagina and then a needle that goes through the vagina into the ovaries. And then we aspirate all the follicles and hopefully the eggs that are within them. And then we look at the eggs and then we freeze those eggs, okay? And then you're awake, you know, 30 minutes later, you're awake, um, you know, you're a little sore and uncomfortable from the procedure. By that afternoon, the next morning, you're back to yourself with minor discomfort. And then you follow up with the doctor in two weeks to kind of talk about what the next steps are. Some people elect to do consecutive cycles for a variety of reasons based on the counseling that they've had with their physician. But that's in general what the process entails. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to ReachMD, and I am your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Keenan Omertag. He's an assistant professor in the Division of Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility at Washington University in St. Louis. Today, we're discussing oocyte preservation. So, Dr. Omertag, you covered the process really well. Hey, let's backtrack and talk about... is. Is there any risk to doing this? Are there any side effects to going through this process? The biggest side effect is the injection site bruising. So the medications that we give you, you will, you may have some bruising at the injection site from that. Those are kind of like the classic side effects of the medication. The monitoring process is disruptive. It can be to your work schedule. Usually the monitoring, you're over a 10-day period, you're coming and going from the clinic, you know, four or five times. And then you have this outpatient procedure. So there is time away from, from work. As far as, you know, is doing this multiple times, is this going to, you know, if I am 35 doing this or 30 and normal, healthy, and no underlying infertility, et cetera, I'm just doing this because I'm, you know, I don't have a partner and I don't know when I'm going to be ready to build my family. Um, does this increase your, decrease your likelihood of having a child later when you're ready to? No. Is that, does doing this multiple times put you at risk for ovarian cancer or any kind of cancer? As far as we know, no. With the caveat, however, that six or more IVF cycles may, may be associated with an increased risk of 
a less aggressive type of ovarian tumor called borderline ovarian tumors. But again, this has not been studied in, you know, this has been studied in infertile patients. So translating it to this particular population is a little bit nebulous. Those are kind of the big things that people always ask me about. Are there any other specific, I mean, is there anything else specifically you're asking about? No. Well, I will ask then, is there a difference in the outcome of oocyte preservation versus freezing an embryo? Great question. So are you freezing an egg or are you freezing an embryo? And then which one should you freeze if you have an option, if you have an opportunity to, to choose? So we have a lot of experience freezing embryos, a lot more we, the collective field. We've been doing it much longer at a greater scale. So our experiencing with freezing and thawing embryos, we, 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 we have a better idea of quoting. So for example, in today's world of IVF, most places can provide an equal success rate with fresh or frozen embryos, okay? When it comes to egg freezing, again, the scale at which we're free, we've been freezing eggs for a long time, but the scale at which we're freezing them is rather new. So we're, we're variable with our success rates. And the, most of our data on success rates comes from Europe. There are several clinics here in the U.S. that have high-volume egg freezing programs, but the success rates when you compare embryos to or egg freezing to embryo freezing, the success rate with ultimate live birth is slightly, is probably is lower with oocyte than with embryos. So if you, what I tell patients is, if you have an opportunity to freeze embryos, whether you're doing it because you and your husband are not ready to have children right now, because for whatever other reason, or you're about to have gonadotoxic therapy because you have breast cancer, you should freeze embryo. Or you're a single woman who is not ready to get pregnant now, but would be okay using a sperm donor, you should create those embryos now. If you're not sure, then egg freezing is a viable alternative because you're just freezing eggs. You're not freezing embryos. So to give you an example, I had a patient uh, this two weeks ago who, has hot, who had lymphoma and was going to have a stem cell transplant, which is going to wipe out her ovary completely. And she was in a kind of committed relationship and wasn't sure if she was going to use her boyfriend or not. And we kind of said, look, the eggs will, yeah, embryos will do better, but there's also a social element here. You know, who knows what your relationship is going to be like. Freeze the eggs because those eggs will, you can always inseminate those eggs with the sperm later. And while the success rate may be slightly lower, it's still a good option for you. So this is certainly an exciting technology, and one would ask why more women wouldn't undergo this process. Let's talk about the cost. Does insurance cover this? So insurance does not cover this. However, if you're doing egg freezing or embryo freezing because you have cancer, then or some specifically cancer, uh, then there are the Livestrong Foundation, which is Lance Armstrong's foundation, they provide financial aid, and then we, as a clinic, help cut the agree to cut the cost of the service in half. So a sixteen thousand dollar procedure becomes a 
you know, six to $8,000 procedure, and that includes the cost of the medication. So in the absence of that, the average cost of an IVF cycle is somewhere probably between nine and $12,000. That does not include the cost of the medications. Now, people can rig the cost differently depending on, you know, what kind of medication they're using to stimulate you, et cetera, et cetera. But this is not something that's covered by insurance, and it's a hefty cost. I mean, you know, the charge, you know, our charge is about $9,000 for one cycle. So I'm assuming you have personal experience with fertility preservation. You have patients within your practice. What's your experience been? Are these patients happy? Is it something that you recommend? I, I do recommend it, but again, it's a case-by-case approach. I mean, the patients who have, you know, a cancer diagnosis or something, those patients, you know, it makes sense to do it. Um, and we fight, you know, to try to, you know, help them get through as quickly as possible so that their care isn't delayed for, start, you know, resuming chemotherapy, et cetera. For the patients who, you know, I can, I'm thinking of a handful um, that I've had who are coming in because their, you know, their reproductive future is kind of up in the air and they're not sure when they're ready, when they're going to be in a position to start their family. A lot of those patients are between the ages of 32 and 38, okay, and, the, and it skews upwards. So the patients who are hovering, I think 34 to 35 is a sweet spot where it really makes sense. If you don't think you're going to be in a position to have a baby or start that family in three to five years, you should really, I would, I would really, really encourage you to consider freezing eggs and or embryos if applicable. Okay. Um, If you are 28 and, you know, you're in medical school and you're trying to decide whether you should freeze your eggs and your ovarian reserve screens are normal and you have no underlying reason to think you will have infertility in the future, I, I think you have time on your side. So egg freezing becomes a little, uh, you know, is, I don't push you, I'm not going to push you as hard. You want to do it? Great. Um, is it a guarantee? No. Regardless of how, how, how old you are, it's not a guarantee. But the younger you are, the more li- the better, you know, the more eggs you're going to have and presumably the less likelihood you're going to have of making an aneuploid or chromosomally abnormal um, embryo when it comes time to inseminate that egg. If you're kind of approaching 40, it becomes challenging because you might not make as many eggs. You might have to do multiple cycles. And that's true really regardless of the age, but more specifically as the age of the woman increases, you might have to end up doing it more than once, which can become costly and for some people even cost prohibitive. So those are the things that go into the equation. Everyone, regardless of age, but more specifically those that are, you know, kind of skewing into their middle to late 30s, I will talk to them about, you know, how how interested are you in being a single mother and considering uh, artificial insemination with a sperm donor. And a lot of them are like, no, not interested. But I'd say half of them are like, uh, yeah, that actually does make sense for me, and that's what I want to do. In fact, I've had some people who come in saying, that is what I want to do. Look, I'm not getting any younger. I'm here to do sperm donation because I'm not in any, you know, I'm not going to find the right partner in the next three years. So how can we get this ball rolling? And they don't actually freeze eggs. They just try to get pregnant. 
and many of those patients have never don't have any underlying infertility, and some of them actually do well. Age, again, obviously is the predictor of success here. We're reaching the end of our time together. Are there any final thoughts you would like to share? I think the, the key things are egg freezing is a great option for couples, for individuals. Regardless of the situation, it is available. Um, it is not a guarantee, but it is very empowering, and it gives women an opportunity to kind of own their reproductive future. Um, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm here to help guide them to figure out if it's right for them. I'm not going to for I'm not going to try to sell it and make every you know yeah scare you into to doing it. And the other end, I'm not here to try to scare you know tell you you don't need it. So a lot of patients find that I've I've had a pretty good feedback, and the patients are glad that they did it. They feel somewhat empowered. The fertility preservation patients who have like a cancer diagnosis, they feel particularly empowered because the conversation is therapeutic in and of itself because, hey, you know, I'm here talking to someone about my future reproduction and my ability to have a family. I mean, my, that means I'm going to beat this cancer or whatever, and I'm going to have that family. So it's empowering in that regard for that particular group of patients. So again, if it's something that your listeners are interested in, I would recommend that they contact a, a reproductive endocrinologist, SART, the Society of Assisted Reproductive Technology, SART.org, has a list of clinics that are in your states that you can reach out to and inquire. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Keenan Omertag, for joining us today. This has been a very informative discussion on a timely topic. Thanks, Patrice. I love this topic. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And to download this podcast and others in this series, please visit ReachMD.com. We welcome you to share, like, and comment on this podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry, and you've been listening to ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge. Thank you for listening.